all these other twerps are always calling people out and doing stuff, mm. but New England, the other team might as well be a, like a massive grey blob just out of the team. That's how Bill Belichick wants them to consider it. If he had that Black Mirror technology where everyone would just turn into pixels, he would probably <laughs> give them a minus New England players' faculties. So hello and welcome to All Four Quarters, your one-stop shop for news, views and overreactions from all things NFL. We're going to take a look at all the stuff from around the league this week, focus in on the four games that we just saw, take some of your questions and then focus in on the championship games that are just upcoming. So hey guys, we've got Connor here, we've got Harry. Hello. And we got Ronan. Hello. What's the crack lads, any fun? Yeah, no. <laughs> Still recovering from um, the weekend, I think, of football. Took a lot out of me. <laughs> Took a lot out of me. Well, the Saturday and Sunday kind of elements kind of add up after a while, don't yeah, they? Yeah, we stayed up. Uh, God, it was an uh, exhausting uh, at the end. But. Yeah, yeah, the Sunday game. I, if we, I, I, we'll obviously talk about them in a bit, but I remember we were sitting here in your house, Harry, ourselves and, and one of our colleagues, and uh, we were thinking about heading off home, uh, coming into the half time at the 17 to nothing, and kind of going, oh, I don't know. So we, we'll finish up our beers, we'll see how the start of the second half goes, and then we'll order a taxi. And then we did not order a taxi. <laughs> <laughs> what, what about yourself, Ronan? How's all down in Cork? Uh, pretty quiet down here, just uh, tipping away at the moment, kind of getting into some new, exciting research stuff. So that's interesting, but otherwise, keeping it quiet. It's, it's not really time to be outside these days. We're going through another winter winter period of weather it seems yeah when we were wandering over uh just there we saw snow on the tops of the cars outside here in town it's uh i'm expecting it's going to snow overnight and it might stick <laughs> you said it's already snowing sideways down in cork is it yeah it was snowing sideways a few moments ago but uh, apparently it's snowing all the way down in texas but no fun times so i suppose we'll fly in we've got lots of bits of news to cover off as we expected we're going to get a lot more coaching GM movements now as more and more teams are eliminated and people are free to sign and also as it becomes increasingly clear who hasn't signed because they're not allowed to sign yet but definitely will sign. Tennessee, after their loss this week, have decided that uh, ah, they were only kidding when they said Mike Malarkey was safe. Uh, Mike Malarkey has decided to uh, consciously uncouple with Tennessee. They've decided to <laughs> to agree to separate. Um, this is apparently, according to a number of sources, due to the fact that he would not allow them to fire the offensive coordinator uh, Rubisky which is a bit strange it's, it's obviously it's, it's a nice thing to see that he's not going to just throw a guy under the bus and stand by his own dudes but um, yeah like realistically I'm not sure Mike Malarkey should really be looking the gift horse of potential extensions as head coach uh, in the mouth all that much um, they're expected to pursue Josh McDaniels now but there is rumours that he'll be taking a position with the Colts instead so Tennessee going to move on with Mike Vrabel Matt LaFleur and Malarkey has now been linked to the juggernaut that is the Cleveland Browns as a potential offensive coordinator, and I believe he is interviewing with them this week. So, obviously, we kind of said, we were laughing about this last week, that Tennessee win a playoff game, and then they get saddled with Malarkey for an extra year or two, that that was a Pyrrhic victory. This is probably a good move for Tennessee, right? When we looked at the relationship between Malarkey and the ownership, we kind of felt like things weren't going there, based on his comments after the game, before the game. It basically didn't sound like Malarkey had too much respect for the GM or the ownership. And then, obviously, the ownership came in with a plan. Okay, you know, you did a good job. You got the playoffs. You won a game. But you need to make some changes, you know. Marcus Mariota doesn't look good. The fans are getting restless. So you have to fire your offensive coordinator because the run game, your exotic smash run offense isn't working. And he's like, fuck no. I just won a playoff game. I'm in a position of strength. And when it became obvious that the owner, and like that's one thing to note here, it's really the owner, it sounds like, who was pushing this change as much as the GM. 
neither of them would budge so Malarkey's like alright so fire me so and then once that decision was made they, they say they're mutually uh, parting with each other but it, it's basically a firing let's be honest yeah no of course like we said we saw especially in moments whenever they fell behind in games and they just moved from their kind of run heavy thing to a bit more of a sped up hurry up offense a bit more free throwing a little bit more making use of Marcus Mariano's natural talents that they seem to be getting a lot more production out of them in those scenarios and that opened up their run game so it seems that it was a cart and a horse situation that maybe the coaching staff weren't getting in the right order. As we mentioned, Jared, that was that Josh McDaniels is now expected to take the Indianapolis position. Uh, Detroit are also expected to hire Matt Patricia. So the uh, seems that New England are going to have a lot of change in their hands in this offseason. Uh, do you think Matt Patricia is a good pickup for this Detroit team? This has not been necessarily a defense that has looked incredible this season. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting one. I mean, Patricia's thing is that he's got defenses to overperform really more than anything else. But, of course, the risk, as we mentioned before, is is how much of that is Patricia and how much of that is Belichick. Um, whereas with McDaniels, like, look, this guy has pretty much complete control of the offense. Belichick trusts him or Belichick trusts Patricia. There's always that question on, like, on game day. There's always that question of how much of the stuff that leads up to that is Belichick. I think that might be a little over-egged because I think if Belichick trusts somebody, he trusts somebody. That's how he operates. Yeah. But what's going to be, I think... And I think this is something that, that we've embraced for. I think it's something we've known is coming for a while. But what's going to be interesting is to see whether or not Patricia and McDaniel's um, take a lot of the take any of the assistant coaches or the position coaches with them. We know McDaniel's in particular is apparently told people to wait for him to make the decision and then see where they're at. I haven't heard so much of Patricia, but there could be an awful lot of turnover beyond just the coordinator position in New England, yeah. which makes it interesting for us. For Detroit, I think it's a solid signing in the sense of this is a guy who's shown despite the questions earlier, that he can get production out of defences, and they, these are, if not elite, then functional defences lacking talent that are good enough for an elite QB to lead you to a championship. So, why not? This guy, he's smart, he knows, um, he's been doing it for a long time, he knows the playbook. Yes, Belichick's assistants have history, and uh, <laughs> not quite panning out as well as they could do, but um, I think if you're in De- if you're Detroit, and you're, you're kind of moving from the steady, I don't want to say mediocrity, but that's what it was, it was the, the steady ship, and the uh, under Caldwell that was never going to succeed you're like okay we need to kick this up to the next level we need to do somebody who's going to mm-hmm. change things and that's what Patricia a sort of a more boom or bust kind of move is so I think it makes sense where the Lions are and for what they need to do next season yeah no of course uh, other news around this New York Giants are expected to hire Pat Shermer to be their head coach uh, and they've also had a couple of uh, as we'll mention uh, they've had a couple of their coordinators disappear as well so there might be a, quite of a more complete new staff moving in there and Arizona's search is still ongoing. Uh, the Arizona one is intriguing to me because I think that might be a kind of a philosophical decision they need to make because they've got some young pieces on that roster but they've also got a lot of old pieces on that roster and it's to see what they're going to do. Is this going to be a holdover coach for a year or two or is this something where they want them to, to start from fresh? I'm sure we'll get more news of that over the offseason. In terms of front office changes, uh, Houston have hired Buffalo's VP player personnel Brian Gain. Brian Gain previously worked in Houston and left to take a role with uh, Buffalo. So I I don't know really what to make of this. I don't know a huge amount about uh, Brian Gain. Is this something we should be excited about? Like From my perspective, Houston seemed to have the key pieces in place. And the reason they didn't get to try them out this year was because of injury. So I don't think there's a lot that needs to be happening with that roster that I'd expect to see this this person do in year one. Right, Roman? Yeah, like they, they seem to have... The, the right pieces in there. And there's no reason to believe that the change in GM has, has led to a fundamental shift in the personnel in that front office. So this is a continuity move. I don't think they thought the scouting was going wrong there, so 
bring a guy out who's gone out and seen other things, maybe get a little bit of a different perspective. But overall, you can trust this guy because you, you know what you're getting. So yeah. probably a decent move for Houston, assuming that you, you continue to trust their front office and scouting network. Yeah, inter- interesting to see Oxfam mentions. Uh, sure, it's great. You already know he's a known quantity. He's coming back to the organization, but we'll get to that in a second. Uh, notable coordinator changes. Buffalo fired Rick Dennison, their offensive coordinator, and hired uh, Brian Diabol, uh from Alabama. Brian Diabol, who is, uh, I think, at some stage been on every single team in the NFL <laughs> I remember him as an offensive coordinator for Kansas City I think he was with the New England Patriots once or twice, twice yeah. it's um, it's an interesting one obviously he's going to have gone back to college seems to has seems to have re-upped his stock within the within the league and this is also interesting because we were wondering about how much of a change we'd expect to see out of Buffalo this offseason on their approach to offense on the potential changing of quarterback of the change of offensive philosophy this suggests to me that they're changing that uh, and Alabama you know, a historically run-heavy team. Is this a look for them to try and su- to bring a run-heavy game to possibly support a young rookie or new quarterback in the in the team? Yeah, might well be. And like, it's it's one of those ones where it's like this is because I think you know if Alabama hadn't won the championship, I don't necessarily know if we'd see DeBall be hard. I like the way you made his uh, name into the Irish for devil, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> that was um, not a good year in 2012. He's, <laughs> he's been a, he, he has been around a lot with on some successful teams, on some less successful teams. He had a stint on the Jets when they were terrible as well. Yeah. But that's, this is a... I, I, he's never really been successful where there's been struggle, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So it's going to be interesting to see how much they're going to let him like implement his style and um, whether or not that's going to... That is like you say, because they're like, well, look... We don't know what our quarterback situation is. Let's have a guy who we think can do not that. Like, Dennison had to go after the playoff, what happened in the playoffs, to be yeah. completely honest with you. And uh, he wasn't able to utilize the talent, or the talent might be a generous word, um, <laughs> on that roster. But um, it's it's just a weird one because the ball has never, he has not been, not consistently stuck with a team for a long time in any of his, the roles he's done. So this is a bit of a gamble, all right. Yeah. Um, but I guess, like you say, if they're blowing it all up and they want to implement a new way to do it, which increasingly looks like what's going to happen in Buffalo, then yeah, yeah, why not? Other side of the coin, instead of going for something new, going for something old, the Seattle Seahawks have apparently going to hire uh, Schottenheimer as their offensive coordinator, Ken Norton Jr. as their defensive coordinator, and Mike Solari as their offensive line coach. This is not a collection of people that fill me with a lot of hope. Like, I know obviously Ken Norton Jr. because he was with the Raiders prior to that. Mike Solari was coaching one of the few lines in football that was worse than your line under Tom Cable. How do you feel about these hirings, Fitz? <laughs> uh, Pete Carroll <laughs> likes what he likes, and like these fit, like they do fit, I suppose, with what Pete Carroll wants to a certain extent. Like, Ken Norton Jr. knows the Seattle defense. Perhaps he thought that uh, Richard, who's been the defensive coordinator the last few seasons, was getting too many too many blitz happy, although there has been some production there. I think in particular Richard has been particularly weak on third downs. Perhaps Pete Carroll's like, I need someone who can focus in on that. And then the Schottenheimer pick is a bit of a surprise. He's been, he hasn't been an offensive coordinator a couple of seasons. He's been the quarterback's coach in Indy for a couple of seasons. And his best offense was the one with like 41-year-old Brett Favre with the Jets. So uh, that, like, that's 
both a negative in the sense of like he hasn't done a good offense for, and a positive in the sense he's never played with a good quarterback before. So yeah. maybe there's hope there. He's apparently a guy who likes the power run game, which would be a difference uh, from the uh, re- the zone read that we usually do. And he's an Eric Coriel type player, loves lots of vertical routes stuff like that. But he's a big run game guy, loves the run game, loves to pound the rock. And Pete Carroll's always into his running the ball kind of thing. And obviously this season. They didn't run the ball very much. They didn't have very much success doing it. So this is definitely a move, I think, where Pete Carroll's like, we need to run the rock. That is our, my identity. That's how I, want to run the, how I want to run a football team. And I need a guy who will do that for me no matter what, even if they get, like, minus 15 yards every three downs. <laughs> yeah. so, and apparently Brian Sean is willing to do that. There was an interview with Rex Ryan where he basically said, I told him we're going to give the ball 40 times, and he kept doing it. Uh, and then at halftime, he's like, this isn't working, and it's like, and Sean Ryan's, well, maybe we should pass. He's like, maybe you should do that, says Rex Ryan, and it worked. <laughs> apparently, loyalty is his best. Uh, <laughs> Fair so, enough. No, none of these are, are particularly inspiring, and after a big clear-up where fans were hoping for a big change, these kind of feel like Pete Carroll is just like, we just need to do more of the thing that won us the Super Bowl. Uh, forget about changing anything, let's just do more of that again. Yeah, just the uh, just the Mexican soccer uh, announcer in <laughs> in the Simpsons shouting holds, holds, holds. Oakland decided that uh, getting rid of Ken Norton Jr. What would make them too good a team, so I've decided to trade him for Tom Cable to become their new offensive line coach. I am fucking looking forward to this next year. So Tom Cable comes in to try and shore up the line in Oakland. By the way, actually, just as an aside, on the Seattle one, I was reading um, some messages on the on the Oakland Raiders Reddit today, and uh, man, they are salty as fuck about everything. Like, there's more threads about other teams than there are about them. <laughs> on it but one of them was how uh, people were going Ken Norton Jr shit we didn't want him anyway and they're like what's he gonna do like Seattle have far worse defensive players than we do and then just almost the entire has gone <laughs> like we've got two players maybe like no it's like but but yeah what, what's his name the the cornerback who was on the Chiefs the year before and Sean Smith yeah he's like Sean Smith was incredible once we got rid of Ken Norton Jr he's like eh, no he wasn't <laughs> bad at your job as Tom Cable and then like immediately walking into the same job yeah like what it would be pretty fucking awesome wouldn't it yeah I this doesn't fill me with any hope whatsoever for Oakland apart from as a Kansas City Chiefs fan <laughs> which, is, uh, which is pretty good injuries obviously less games less injuries but this one's quite important Tennessee's offensive tackle Jack Conklin tore his ACL which puts the start of his 2018 season in doubt this was a very unfortunate injury for them in the game uh, this is a very good player for them uh, one that they will require to try and keep themselves uh to be able to utilise their young quarterback so this is potentially a very large loss for them we'll get updates on this as the season continues but or sorry not the season as the off season continues the <laughs> season, season doesn't, doesn't continue for not, long not, not for Tennessee it doesn't no it does not crime and punishment what are they doing probably felonies uh, depends on whether this was crossing state lines San Francisco linebacker <laughs> Ruben Foster is arrested on possession charge in Alabama I'm sure we'll get some information about this as we as we go on. But uh, you play in California, you can smoke all the fucking weed you want, man. Like just <laughs> smoke it in California. Come on, that's it. It's just uh, it's just just stupid. Like, but uh, so who knows? Like, controversy corner. We mentioned this previously, but it's now been confirmed. The NFL are now officially looking into the Oakland John Gruden hiring because it is very clearly broken the Rooney rule. They had already had John Gruden in place before they fired the. Uh, 
the previous head coach so that means that they can't have been offering interviews to uh, minority coaches uh, as per the Rooney rule so we're expecting this to come down against them and from what I gather it's normally just a cash fine that's imposed on them in, in previous instances where this has occurred see I think that what you should do then is that you should they should force a minority coach on them so as punishment, I don't know, like Romeo Cornell has to be the head yeah, coach. Romeo, the <laughs> I'll tell you something about Romeo Cornell. What's Lovie Smith doing these days? I <laughs> think Romeo Cornell is a good defensive coordinator he and he is a god-awful head coach. Exactly. So, so they have to hire him as head coach. He has to be head coach and he's only allowed to coach the offense. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> this, this isn't a surprise, is it? No, this is something we've, we've, we flagged um, earlier as a potential thing that would happen. Um, the Raiders have been incredibly stupid with the whole thing because they, there's a million ways they could have got around this by just obeying the letter if not the spirit of the law mm-hmm. and that was a discussion then we had last time and that they just say oh we stuck to the letter of the law and got around it but it turns out they're not even trying to pretend that and they're just like yeah fuck it find us anyway we're yeah. already down a hundred million dollars whatever yeah like, it's, ah, it's madness yeah. It's a joke. Yeah, Mark, Mark Davis is not a clever looking man. <laughs> not a clever looking move. So no, I'm gonna put this on Mark Davis. To be honest, <laughs> yeah, it's just just stupid. And uh, big rapey Ben uh, has decided that he wants to throw Tomlin under the bus after their uh, loss for not calling QB sneaks on fourth down. Let's be honest, like this. While it was not a great game out of Ben, I don't think it's the not calling out fourth down QB sneak that cost them this game. It was the fact that the Jags came out and balled the living shit out of them. I'm more interested in Big Ben coming out and trying to get some news stories about him saying, oh, I'm not sure if I want to come back, and then everyone coming out and going, we're not sure if we fucking want you back. Yeah, well, give it, give it a few weeks. Um, to be fair, like, Rosselsberger did throw for like a billion yards and five touchdowns. It wasn't necessarily on him, hmm. and there was some very poor coaching in that game. But uh, there were, earlier in the season, I think he... he Throw Todd Haley under the bus for not giving him enough mm. fourth down quarterback sneaks. This is a guy who like pretends to be injured the whole time. So I don't know if it's like he just wants to have another excuse to pretend to be injured. Like yeah, he wa- he, wa- he wants to be able to see that show that he's taken a bad hit at some point, just so he can then go like if if it doesn't go well, he can be like oh I'm trying to struggle through. I'm doing the best for you guys, rather than like there's limitations to your game. You're old and fat now. Pittsburgh is such a fucking dramatic team. Like it's just- yeah. Not a not a big fan of of, of, of them, and uh, more positive miscellaneous news and something that we're very excited about. The London games were announced this week. Uh, I think I, myself and Fitz anyway were watching this live on the announcement on uh, on NFL UK's oh Facebook God. feed. Fucking Neil Reynolds, boy. Neil Reynolds oh, and OC uh, just giving us the announcement in the most like low budget announcement I've ever seen. Of it's just like Neil Reynolds going, "Hey guys, are we excited?" OC. Please take out another helmet. And he just took the helmets out and goes, well, that that looks like a Seahawks helmet. It is, Neil. That's a Seahawks helmet. I wonder who they're playing. OC, another helmet, please. Like, that was the announcement. I like the idea is that they didn't actually, they, they didn't know who the, they hadn't sorted out beforehand. They just put like six random helmets under a table and shuffled them around. That'd be brilliant. <laughs> uh, so the games are Seattle at Oakland, uh, Philadelphia at Jacksonville and Tennessee at the LA Chargers. So Seattle and Oakland will open it and then the other two will move depending on how the scheduling works. Uh, these are three games being run back to back. The first of which is going to be held in Tottenham Hotspur's new stadium, Ooh. provided that it is actually completed in time. Uh, this is a really nice slate of games compared to what we've gotten in previous years isn't it like this is this is a really really nice looking couple of games yeah I think I think they wanted four but then the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium kind of screwed things over yeah. but it seems that because of that they were like okay maybe we need to actually get good games so people don't burn us on social media some people did definitely anyway but yeah this is 
this like like compared to the last few seasons in particular where we've had some really bad games suddenly we get basically a really good opener with Seattle at Oakland two teams looking to bounce back uh, obviously Oakland now has the new razzle dazzle of John Gruden uh, Seattle looking to bounce back then you have Philly at Jacksonville two teams which are still competing for the Super Bowl there's a very every there could be a Super Bowl champion there and Tennessee at Chargers it, like it perhaps doesn't have the same wattage but in any other year would be one of the better games so it's both teams who are very much in line to at least be competing to get into the playoffs and and if they have a good year perhaps go even further than that so I think overall this is really good compared to what we've had and I might even go see two games to be honest yeah Uh, if it wasn't for the expense of London I think I'd definitely be over for two the three if not all three can't wait for us to book our tickets and then by the time it rolls around all these teams like two and five going into the games yeah Um, the other interesting fact is that they're going week six, seven, eight back to back which is kind of a test to see about this not being a kind of novelty event in London to an extent that they could see if they could sustain having multiple home games in a row uh, or multiple games back to back and expect people to turn up to all of them. Uh, there's also some potential controversy here because there's a discussion about whether or not Tottenham Hotspur's season ticket holders are going to get preferential first access to tickets mm. to games held in that stadium. That stadium is also already about 20,000 seats smaller than the Wembley Stadium is, which means if they were to give these preferential tickets, this could cause an awful lot of a push on uh, on access to tickets to other NFL fans. But as we said, this is quite clearly a method that they think could expand their uh, watchership as they think if they can get the tickets into the hands of soccer fans who wouldn't necessarily be NFL fans and encourage them to come that way, it might expand their audiences a little bit. So it's or an interesting... the soccer fans are just going to fucking sell them the tickets. Yeah, well, that's that's what I think will actually happen. But uh, you can see you can see why someone who isn't like a run-of-the-mill... <laughs> Like, going down to the game on a Saturday with his mate soccer fan might be like, this will be excellent. If you just put it in front of these stupid poor people, they'll just eat it up. Like, It's amazing that they think poor people can afford premiership tickets. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my. But, uh, yeah, so very excited. We'll obviously be chatting about it over the off-season as we pick up tickets. I think the ticketing information is coming out on Thursday of this week. And, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll see what the story is at that point and how they're scheduled about whether or not we could maybe make the two of the games instead of just the one. And I suppose on that, we will shift across and have a look at the games we had from our divisional round of the playoffs. Okay, so up first we have Atlanta at Philadelphia. This was a 10-15, to 15, I, I don't know what to call it, outside of, like, real surprise scoreline. Red zone errors cost Atlanta in the end. Philly were not phenomenal, but they were able to get the job done when needed to. They really established their run game with this with uh, J.H.I. coming off, which was, which was interesting because I believe it was the first play of the game, the second play of the game, he fumbles the mm-hmm. ball, and then they just uh, decided to go back to him and just, just keep going. So that was, that was very good. I was surprised that this Falcons team came out so flat in this game. Like They had been looking a lot better the last couple of weeks, especially in their game last week against the Rams. They were looking a lot quicker, a lot more aggressive on defense, uh, but they just, they just didn't seem to have have it at all in this time. I don't know if potentially it was the going up to a far more difficult scenario with the weather and the outdoor stadium up in up in Philly, but uh, this was a game that, well, I suppose Philadelphia did what they needed to do, hold, serve at home, and now they get another home game to, to be one away from the Super Bowl. What do we make of this? Was this a function of Philadelphia game planning well or was this a function of Atlanta just shit in the bed a bit of both to be honest <laughs> like I think you can't take any credit away from Jim Schwartz I think Jim Schwartz called a great game 
kept that Atlanta offense on its on the back foot the entire game and and like you know Matt Ryan never looked really looked comfortable and even though they managed to get some production they managed to get some yards when it came down to it when they got into the red zone the efficiency of their offense basically went down significantly the fact that Atlanta's only touchdown basically came on what was really like a breakdown of a play that uh, like Matt Ryan managed to magic his way out of kind of gives you a sense of what Philadelphia was doing here so I think that kind of bend not break type of approach definitely showed up but I don't think you can look at this offense and, and throughout you know based not just obviously in this game but on the entire season and not come to the conclusion like where's the Atlanta offense that we saw last year where's the one where there's explosive plays where the run game is humming with Devonta Freeman and, uh, and Tevin Coleman where's Julio Jones and this year it just wasn't there and when it came down to it on the final play uh, on the final like final four plays when they were in the red zone the chance to win the game they screwed the pooch with some poor play calling with some frankly really unusual play calling I'm thinking that second down play with the shovel pass I don't know what the hell happened there and then the final play you know Matt Ryan running out to his right already under pressure Julio Jones falling over it just felt like a kind of microcosm of the kind of inefficiency we've seen in this Atlanta offense all year and it just wasn't enough against the defense that was here to play yeah like this is this is the thing when I was looking at the because I didn't watch all this game I just watched a lot of the highlights of it I was uh, knee deep in assignments at the time one of the things that they did was their defense came in they wanted to disrupt they knew exactly what they had to do and we discussed it last week in the preview for the game that this was going to be their front seven need to disrupt they were coming in quick and trying to force him to move out of the pocket taking away half of the field from him so we had to be throwing on the go and that seemed to give them a bit of freedom like is that something that's sustainable because that's going to tire out a defense if you have to try and do that for two or three games straight should they make it to the big game I don't know Um, we've seen this defense look pretty good throughout the season and it's always a question of the quality of opposition how well the offense is able to adapt and adjust to what you're doing and in this case we saw as one would expect from what has been a, a poorly coached offense that isn't playing up to its talent wasn't able to make the adjustments and wasn't able to find anything new to do in the typical Steve Sarkeesian fashion. They had their approach and they stuck to it throughout the game, even when it wasn't working. Like, you look at something as simple as they have an even split of carries between the running back. One of them is averaging 7.5 yards a carry and the other is averaging 0.7, and they keep that going. Julio Jones did well, but it's like, again, it's like, is anything else happening or is this just chuck it up and hope? Like, there's no coherence and no sense of, like, Let's move it around. If Philadelphia comes against a better coached team and a team that's able to make halftime adjustments, able to add a quarterback who's better at adjusting on the fly than Matt Ryan, who's, who's pretty decent at it, but we know is not the best, they're gonna they're not going to be able to keep doing that, and they will need to get more out of their offense if they come up against uh, you know if they get a Super Bowl against the Patriots or even against the Jaguars. You know, you, you can't you have to get something going mm-hmm. on offense against a team like that. Uh, even against the Vikings, they're going to have to play this, be able to play this both sides of the ball, and they can't just rely on the defense to get them through against that kind of thing. Because as much as this is, yeah, they have depth, they have athleticism. Even the parts of the defense that we thought were weaker, like the defensive backfield, seem to have come on and grown into it throughout mm-hmm. the playoffs. And you're, you're able to take away half the field, but you can't just rely on that the whole way through because this isn't a, you know, this, this is a good defense. It's not a truly elite defense. Yeah, and they're going to have to balance that on the other side of the ball at some point. No, of course. Like this is a game. Obviously, that Atlanta thought that they were they were good for. They were talking very positively about this game over in the week prior to it. Kind of saying, "Well, this is the easier of the two options." We're heading up to what 
This is, I think, also this is the first time in the history of the NFL that they have had a number one seed coming in as a uh, as an underdog, as a as a, with, with the point spread against uh, ever into their into the divisional round, which was interesting. But uh, no, just overall like a good job game planning from Philly. I suppose a lot of their starters had two weeks to rest, not even just the one. So they had they had the ability to kind of game plan and expect something like this to, to, to turn up. So good win from them, but we'll see how that will play for them in the next round of the playoffs. Next up, Tennessee at New England. Oh God, 14 to 35. Uh, Tennessee shit the bed. There's nothing else to be said about this. Tennessee absolutely shit the bed. New England took an interesting approach on offense. They went back to kind of short passes, dink and dunking, rather than what we have seen a little bit more through with deep balls to Brandon Cooks and more reliance on the running backs. This obviously, as we said, led to the firing of Malarkey afterwards, but I think that that was... As much as they say that he wouldn't fire his OC or whatever, like, they wanted change and Malarkey didn't want change he was happy with what he was getting out of it I did I did oh I did as a Chiefs fan and how that game against them went for us I did fucking love them all complaining about how the refs were playing against them yeah like, fuck the fuck well, off like, lads if you, if you get blown out you can't really blame the refs can you yeah you, know you can't like it's just like yeah, yeah like that uh, what was it the, like uh, that, that second down pass to Eric Decker that they were all complaining about you're like that's not deciding the game for you at but all. Momentum. The twenty-one other points are. Yeah, I think they were also complaining about that neutral zone infraction penalty that they that they got on the punt, based due to some interpretation of the rules where if you invoke, like basically, apparently Bill Belichick has trained his players that if a defender comes into the neutral zone, react to it because that's how you get a penalty. Yeah. And they were complaining about that because it's like, oh well, no, this is. This is how it is, but that's the rules. Bill Belichick is smarter than you. Yeah. Uh, not not an uncommon feature, of course, uh, of football. But, uh, yeah, lots of salt from the Tennessee fans, it seems. No, of course. Uh, obviously, New England's defense stepped up in this game as well in a way that I think we weren't expecting. As we said, that was... Because, as you remember on the podcast last week, all we did was we said, like, how can we justify a Tennessee win? We said, well, it, the thing that's exploitable is parts of this New England defense, and they seem to have just drilled hard and fast to make sure that that wasn't going to be the thing that was going to cost them they shut down the run game in this and said beat us in the air if you want to and that just was not going to happen let's be honest you've got to feel pretty happy with the performance of the defence it seems that they've made some adjustments with that bye week that they had and essentially are gearing themselves and maybe peaking at just the right time maybe I mean obviously like you have to factor in things like the, the loss of Jack Conklin was a huge for yeah. Tennessee I was not expecting eight sacks let's no. say but I mean even the run game that, that's a player who makes a huge difference that, that was a big blow and to be fair yeah we had eight sacks but a lot of it was because of the position Tennessee were in there Marriott was holding onto the ball yeah. way too fucking long trying to make things happen and yes it's good that we were able to take advantage of that but the, I, I wouldn't you know I wouldn't be like yes the defence has fucking completely turned it around this defence is still good at not allowing teams to score and has been since well <laughs> early in the season yeah, about week five yeah about week five turned that part around but there's certainly I, I wouldn't I wouldn't be willing to say you know this, this game showed that we, we've got it it did. We did see players, um, you know, bit part players step up on the defense. I think we got a lot of different guys involved who we haven't really seen an awful lot from guys like Gino Grissom, uh, Marquis Flowers. Like, but again, these were happening when Tennessee were behind and Mariota was trying way too hard. Yeah. So I'm not willing to anoint this defense yet. I think it's still a concern. I don't want us going into any game really being like, you yeah, know, we've got this sorted because we don't. We still have a lot of issues. Tennessee just through the combination of. Poor coaching and injury were just completely unable to do anything about yeah. it. They were they were quite obviously when you looked at this game, they were clearly the team that was not meant to be at this stage of the playoffs yeah, out 100%. of all the teams that are there. So I, like, I, I, the thing is that once they went behind 
you could see the panic setting in so yeah. quickly. Once they were 14-7 down, suddenly Mariota is holding on to the ball basically forever, trying to get that special play. You could see them already almost accepting, we have to do something ridiculous to win this game rather than trusting them. And that shows a lack of discipline for them. And like in particular, I think of that fourth down play where Derrick Henry, they give the ball to Derrick Henry, you know, it's fourth and one, you go up the middle, he decides to bounce out to the outside and gets like loses basically five yards of the play. That's the kind of like that's the kind of feeling you got about Tennessee that once they were down by fourteen points, they basically just stopped thinking at all and that plays perfectly into someone like into a team like New England where obviously they've prepared, they know what they're doing and they just run their game and they allow you to make mistakes. Yeah. Uh, so for Tennessee it's just I think, you know, with Malarkey gone, maybe we'll see some culture changes. Uh, but I think that was the story mm. of the game after they went up 7-0. What a wonderful time that was when they were up by 7 <laughs> at the start of the game. And everyone was just, what? <laughs> oh, no, it's gone now. We'll move on to Jacksonville Pittsburgh, 45-42. to This was great crack. Jacksonville came out of the gate firing on all cylinders, defence, offence, just getting it done and... and took an early lead. There was some questionable decision-making, especially towards the back end by Pittsburgh from uh, Haley and Tomlin. Um, we'll probably discuss one or two of those in particular. But this was like this was a game which was interesting because Jacksonville's defense showed up for half of the game and then the second half they just fell apart almost entirely. Like This is a team that we thought was going to be based entirely off the defense, but their offense started showing up and doing stuff. Like That drive uh, in the fourth quarter where we, said, like, we were sitting here going, what they need to do is they need to eat a load of clock and then they need to get down to the bottom end and like just kick a field goal or something just keep it two scores optimally like eat four minutes of clock and then score a touchdown and they went and just did exactly that like it was it was lovely when we got to the tail end of this game though like we see Ben obviously throwing the the, the coaches under the bus saying that they fucked it up they were down by two scores and this this, this scoreline reflects not quite how this game actually ended up they were two scores down this is not a three point game at any point like they 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 got it up to this level at the point where there was no time left I think there was one second left and what they should have done tactically at that point is kicked a field goal uh, with 30 seconds to go and then tried an onside kick to give themselves a shot rather than run the thing down Big Ben took a terrible penalty and I think that might be actually when I think of it what he was trying to deflect away from, where yeah. he had a, a, a an intentional grounding penalty, where they lost ground, lost it down, and had a ten second runoff, and that basically just, just locked it all up for them. Do we think this Jacksonville team's collapse in the second half is something they need to be very worried about afterwards, or was it a bit of complacency mixed with the fact that this is probably the most talent rich offense that is left in the playoffs, or not left in the playoffs anymore? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, there, there are certainly things to be concerned about. Like, it's one thing to run up a big lead, but they did let Pittsburgh back into it. And yeah. had Pittsburgh not mismanaged the fourth quarter so badly, um, and I mean, I say mismanaged badly, they still scored three touchdowns in that quarter, but, they, but after they scored, basically, they, they fucked it up, essentially. Yeah. They could have lost this game, and there was a point in time where it looked like Jacksonville were going to lose this game, yeah. uh, and Pittsburgh were going to be able to come back into it. So, yeah, you do have to worry that... There is an element of, and it's so stupid, but it is. There's this cockiness, this brashness, this swag, whatever the fuck you want to call it, about Jacksonville's defense that serves them so well. But they just seemed to switch off for a big, big chunk of the second half. And ultimately, when it came down to it, they were able to get it done. But there are teams that are, should we say, more clinical in Pittsburgh uh, that might be able to exploit that a bit better. We, they might be playing one in the championship game. <laughs> um, so I think that's definitely one of the big things. I, th- I would imagine this is something the coaching staff will take away. It's so like, right, when we ha- if we get 
like two or three touchdowns ahead of mm. the Patriots. Let's like, make like, sure we keep that, right? Like I would interject just for a second to say that, like you know, the touchdowns that Pittsburgh scored, some of them were actually just ridiculous, like fourth down, forty-yard conversions to Antonio Brown. Like I, I don't think I think. There aren't that many Antonio Browns in the league. There probably is only one. And to a certain extent, the Pittsburgh like comeback was based on kind of plays that are difficult to take away because even though they are playing well, and you think of like the coverage Bouye had on two of those Antonio Brown touchdowns, there wasn't much more they could do there. Some of these, I think Pittsburgh got a bit lucky basically with having Antonio Brown do some ridiculous things in this game. But Ooh. like, I, so I think some of it definitely is they turn off a bit. But I think some of it was. Pittsburgh doing some ridiculous things on offense as well that no one else could really do. Yeah, well, I think I think that's true to an extent, but I mean, you have like situations like that. Yeah, you, Antonio Brown goes deep down the sideline and ends up in a one-on-one situation in the end zone. Like that's something you are aware. Of. Pittsburgh don't just look to convert short down, fourth down short. Like that—that's what Pittsburgh do and have done. Is that if Roethlisberger thinks the play is there, he doesn't care what down it is, he'll go for it. Why isn't there safety help coming over there? So I think there's there's certainly an element of that, and Pittsburgh got some. Yes, yeah, some of the plays were ludicrous, but. I still think that there. You look at those as being like those are miracle plays, but when you give up two or three of those in a game, you're like, mm, I don't think it's just a fantastic play. I think schematically and in terms of the effort being done, there was something different that Jacksonville could have done on those. Um, so I, I really don't think that's necessarily going to be the answer because if you go into a game saying, "Ah, oh, look, those were all miracle plays with nothing to learn from it," I think that's a very, very dangerous attitude. And I think as a coaching point, this is going to be an emphasis for Jacksonville. Mm. Like it was, it was interesting to see. It was a far closer game than when they played previously as well. I do think that Ben played a much better game in this. As we said, he did throw for a million yards, but a lot of that was kind of crazy over the top plays, come back to the end whenever they were like the guys were giving them a lot of room and playing prevent against them on that final drive, which accounted probably for about. 70 yards and one of the touchdowns as also well. wasn't a good idea yeah it wasn't a good idea but like he was he was eating up time they were just keeping them in bounds like they were just kind of like like we said there was a chance but like even on top of that even if everything was executed perfectly at that point they would have had to have with 20 seconds and no timeouts left execute a onside kick and then successfully go another 80 yards which given given how their touchdowns have been scored was a potential the I suppose that the first onside kick should never have happened that gave Jacksonville yeah the field goal essentially for yeah, that's true, that's true. But um, yeah, there's, there was a lot of messiness in this, and I'm sure we're probably going to get a lot of chat in the off-season about what's going to happen. <laughs> well, if you give a lot of chat before the game, expect a lot of chat afterwards. Yeah, I, 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 Poor I, Mike Mitchell, yeah. Well, I, I, I want to give a shout-out to the Jacksonville Twitter people. Uh, they had a great one, because they found a, obviously a lot of the, the Pittsburgh players, because they take their cues from management we're talking about how they were like really looking forward to playing New England and they were focused in on that and uh, the official Jacksonville Twitter handle like found them all and retweeted them all goes yeah you can go and play New England all you want on Madden for the rest of the off season (laughs) (laughs) oh boy now final game which was just fucking incredible New Orleans at Minnesota this was a game that like I said, we were nearly ready to head home and stop watching after the first half. 17 to nothing, New Orleans had been shut out. And they decided that they didn't like that. So they came and crawled their way back into the game slowly but surely. All the way into winning with, uh, I believe it was 20 seconds. Not even 20 seconds. It was 18 seconds or so left on the clock. And then we had the Minneapolis Miracle. A big surprise touchdown pass. Uh, which just set the whole place insane. And then provided us with an additional, I think about... 
six minutes of television as they realised that they had to try and get people back out on the field to defend the extra point even though it was already a done deal and then classy as they were they took a knee so happy days this was a phenomenal game uh, just over and back the whole well it was a phenomenal second half it was a terrible first half (laughs) do we look at this and say this is a formative moment for this Minnesota team they now know they can come back that they can hold strong that they can face adversity or is this a moment where they go why the fuck did this need to happen we nearly lost this entirely and that might actually shake some of their confidence what do we think is going to be the outcome of this for them well I think from a confidence perspective I think if you win a game like this it's always going to be positive and like the reaction of just the elation of getting to where they've gotten to considering where they were at the start of the season and what everyone expected from them the fact that Drew Brees went fucking super saiyan in the second half and they still won mm. I, don't, I don't see how that knocks their confidence um, like they still won they picked Brees off a couple of times they made that running game look pretty ineffective and their offense did enough to to win. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I don't think that Minnesota are going to come out of this feeling bad. I think there's obviously you know there's obviously coaching points and things that can be done better and adjustments that you can make. But and obviously you know Zimmer was doing the whole thing you know big big thing with the media being like oh yeah you know, here's everything we did wrong in this game in the press conference and the usual. But like at the end of the day, this is a huge thing. If you can beat uh, a team that was in the form the Saints were in, and you can overcome them giving like a spectacular second half performance it's gonna it, it's always gonna be gonna be good for you and I think Minnesota will come out of this uh, certainly with more positives than negatives mm. I, I don't really think that's a discussion <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. I, I reject the question fair enough fair enough yeah like I suppose like for me Mike Zimmer like Tom Coughlin's got that done apparently he was shouting down the Jacksonville players when they were like 20 points up in the first half it's like oh they're shit still <laughs> Uh, and second, like the, the New Orleans offense got a bit of an assist from uh, Michael Thomas going full Greg Williams, kind of taking players out of the game. Uh, said Dejo, probably the one. Uh, some would say accidental, some say he was just in the way, but uh, Michael Thomas did a good job on his uh, blocks uh, in the receiving <laughs> for, for, Given this is an audio medium, we will explain to listeners that there are very large air quotes being held up while <laughs> yeah. Ronan says blocks. Yeah. Well, no, like... like it's hard to know what you do with this game because it's such a ridiculous ending. Like, will they be overwhelmed by like what happened and then they're just not focused on the next game? I think with Mike Zimmer, that shouldn't happen. Mike Zimmer seems like a fairly down-to-earth game. But I think if I was them, uh, if I was Mike Zimmer, I'd certainly be looking at this in the more negative sense. But I think he should be looking at himself in the sense that Minnesota, they played very conservative in the second half until they didn't have to anymore. Mike Zimmer, he is a kind of defensive coach. He is the kind of coach who's like, we'll just run the ball. Like, the game, we're ahead. This is the game. Run the ball. Even if it's not working anymore, keep the game close to your chest. And in this game, that nearly cost him because Sean Payton is like the opposite of that. Sean Payton's like, let's just keep blowing them away, well, throwing the ball, do whatever. Well, you see, you say, you say that, but then there is that question that's going to hang over the Saints team at the end of where they had that fourth, or sorry, third and one spot at the tail end of the fourth quarter where they kicked the field goal on fourth down. They ran it for no gain and just set up the field goal and kicked the field goal, forced the guys to use a timeout. Obviously, that's the percentage play in that spot, but given the form that they're in and given how they've managed to have their comeback, surely in that spot on third and one, you're just going to go, right, do you know what? Our run game hasn't been effective. I'm going to let Drew Brees take a shot at wherever he thinks he has a one-on-one. Like, they're not centering it much on a run anyway for that for that, for that, uh, uh, for that that field goal. Like, that, that, that could win the game for them. Whenever you're saying yeah. that the Vikings play conservatively, that, from what is a historically aggressive coach, was a very conservative play call from Sean Payton, No. I don't think it's concerned. Like, fourth and one, 
you're trying to get them to blow their la- get rid of their last time out. I think there's so many percentages on that to run uh, that like I'm sure he had an option that if the the lineup was sufficiently run defense heavy, he might have gone to pass. But I think in that case, even for Sean Payton, that might be one of those cases where it's a little bit too far. Uh, like, he, do, he doesn't have where, them big brass balls. Whereas I feel, I feel with Zimmer, it's more of a once you're ahead by a certain amount, let's just keep things conservative for quarters at a time, mm. halves at a time, and that's the issue they should keep an eye on. Uh, particularly if they like um, against Philadelphia, we'll see. It'll be interesting. Uh, but if they get past Philadelphia and they end up playing someone like New England, then that becomes particularly important because we know that trying to shut up shop in New England isn't necessarily the best uh, role for an NFC champion to take. Yeah. Uh, so for for me, Minnesota, maybe just take a little bit of look at that and consider giving Case a bit more opportunities to keep them ahead uh, in future games. Although I suppose one of the reasons they got back in was because Case threw the ball away, so Mike Zimmer's like, no, no more interceptions, let's just shut down. Yeah, I think on, on that question you raised there, um, like, bear in mind, Breeze was only 5 out of 9 on that drive, mm. um, so it wasn't like it was necessarily going to be a slam dunk. Um, they already had one fourth down conversion through the air to get to the position mm. they were in. But, like, let's, let's be honest, right? You force Minnesota to use their second time out, you kick the field goal, even with the run, which is a, maybe a lower percentage or more conservative, Case Keenum gets the ball back with 25 seconds left. Like, what happened was not really something you can account for, and I find it very hard to blame that specific piece of coaching, although there are certainly questions about other things, um, but I find it very hard to blame that specific call for the defeat, because although you can retrospectively at the time, that is such a low percentage of Minnesota doing what they did, that I'm like, yeah, I, I find it hard to, to slam them too much over it. But you know what you can blame? Sean Payton doing a skull oh, yeah. and a Minnesota yeah. fan. That's just tempting fate. Perhaps bringing some karmic justice upon himself. Yeah. Uh, not karmic justice this week, uh, Pittsburgh calling people out. <laughs> Sean Payton yeah. uh, doing his skull. Oh, uh, God. I think this... a time to gain curse might be a thing at this point but we'll see how it goes well you did see what it essentially looked like it was targeting so you know <laughs> see, that's why the Pats have got it in front they've just they've been letting uh, Matthew Slater who's the nicest guy on the roster do all the media stuff this week mm. so he's like oh Jalen Ramsey's so good at being a cornerback <laughs> fair <laughs> enough I can imagine Jalen Ramsey sitting there being like I don't know how to, I don't how know how to respond this. to this <laughs> yeah Oh my! But I suppose yeah on that we'll swift across and have a look at some of the questions from you the listener Okay, so first up, this one comes in from uh, Emmett, and he says, is Bortles versus Foles the Super Bowl that we need? Uh, This is interesting, uh, because I think uh, my predictions would say that that's the Super Bowl we're going to get. But we'll see, we'll see. Uh, I think think it will be great. I, 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 I genuinely think it's great for the game as well. That kind of stuff happens whenever... If you can start seeing... Like these teams who are built not around superstar quarterbacks, but also like kind of just on heavy defenses and things like that, being able to come up and, and succeed, I think that look very good. Also, like it'd just be so funny for everyone who just despises Blake Bortles just to like have Blake Bortles Super Bowl champion or whatever, and that'd be brilliant. Like, but yeah, I, th- I think I think it would be a good crack. I also think it would probably be a closer, more competitive Super Bowl potentially. Maybe. Uh, I think it's certainly, given the standard of quarterback play in the league this season, the Super Bowl we deserve. Yes. It's not the one we need. Although we've already got the former Jeff Fisher backup NFC Championship yeah. game. so Jeff Fisher in a room somewhere thinking, <laughs> yeah. I caused I did this. That. <laughs> um, it's all been a bit weird this year. I don't think it's the Super Bowl... I mean, look, I, I get the, I get why it's interesting. I don't know if I want to watch that Super Bowl as much as I would want to watch 
one that doesn't have Blake Bortles in it and Nick Foles in it. Mm. Um, like this is the of course you and your team still in the fucking this is race. The kind of Super Bowl that would probably end like six to nine or something. Like, oh god, no, no, no. This will be yeah. like fifty-seven absolutely, to fifty-six. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. <laughs> like. The, the, well, the defenses have so many picks. Yeah, yeah. I mean, maybe okay. Again, all defensive touchdowns. I guess that could be it. I yeah. I, I don't. I like. I, I. It's funny, and it would be cool for both these guys, obviously, to get to a Super Bowl after all the flack they've taken. But I just don't think it would be a great game. Hmm. This would definitely be a drinking Super Bowl. Right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Be great. I think, need to have a, I think we need to do a little bit more pre-drinking for this one. Just to get to the right and yeah. mood for the uh, for the events that are about to unfold. But I think Harry has it right in the nail. It's the one we deserve. Twenty seventeen has been, or it was, and continues to be a weird year for the NFL with all the injuries, with all the weird stuff, with all these playoff teams we didn't expect. So I think a Bortles Foles uh, end to it would be a perfect way to do it. And, would make a change, like you know, yeah. first time in ages we wouldn't have a one of those eternal names in there, and just be something different. Yeah, uh, another one came in as well. This is: uh, Do the Patriots need a border back to be able to come relevant again? Uh, they are slipping off. Their meme game is not up to up to scratch. They're not getting enough shit posting online. Bortles Bortles traded to New England for Tom Brady. <laughs> <laughs> That is only the second weirdest Blake Bortles theory you've ever come up with on the podcast. Eh. We do need to up our meme game, though. We've been dining out on 28.3 for about a year now. We need, yeah. to, we need to come up with something new. It's a bit, uh, it's a bit stale, this point. Yeah. It, it, it would be the ultimate Bill Belichick project, you know? Can I turn Blake Bortles into the next Tom Brady? Yeah. If he could yeah. do that, then he could do anything. Yeah. It would be. Uh, it would certainly be. Uh, certainly be an interesting one to see. I, 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 there, there is a part of me that I'd love to see some of these, like. Quarterbacks who kind of sometimes good, sometimes bad. Bortles has been kind of for the majority of it quite bad. I, there is a part of me I would love to actually see what could happen to like a bad quarterback when paired with an excellent coach. I'd love to see what the ceiling of that coaching would be on someone like that. Have you ever heard of Matt Castle? Yes, I have. <laughs> uh, I believe he won twelve games for you once. Eleven, season. yes, eleven. Um, well, didn't he win a playoff game as well? Uh, no, that was the year he missed the playoffs. Oh, I, I right, think yeah. he then went to you guys and you went to the playoffs yeah, him, and yeah. then he reverted to Matt Castle yeah he did he turned back into a pumpkin he's still in the league somewhere but, uh, Tennessee is it? I think so I think he's a backup in Tennessee because he was a backup in, in San Francisco briefly I think and then moved Maybe? on I think he was like the third because he was I think he was behind um, Colin Kaepernick at some point on the depth chart um, but yeah, and a third one, another QB based question: uh, How many millions of dollars will Case Keenum get paid this off season? This is obviously a reference to he is doing exceptionally well. They're now in the championship game. He was the third quarterback on their team. He is earning approximately two million dollars this year. I imagine he's going to earn somewhere in the region of ten times that next year. Yeah, if he wins the Super Bowl, he's probably getting at least twenty million. If he gets knocked out in the next round, probably near 20 million, but not quite 20 million would be my guess. Mm. And, you know, I think Minnesota like him. They're probably, they don't really have other quarterbacks on their roster probably next year. That makes um, that makes that makes an interesting decision for the league about Teddy Bridgewater if they're going to cut ties with him. Mm. Yeah, so I think... I think Teddy to the Pats. 
Oh wow! It's hard, it's hard to see getting paid more, a lot more than twenty million. But if you win a Super Bowl, you get paid. Just ask Joe Flacco. So yeah. who knows at that point? Like what? What, what do you reckon? Like something like yeah, uh, Trent got caught after winning a Super Bowl. So yeah, yeah, we were discussing this the other day. <laughs> yeah, but, to, to be fair, Case Keenum is a lot better than Trent Dilfer. But like, like, yeah. what, like what? Like what do you reckon? If Blake Bortles win the Super Bowl, he yeah. <laughs> he'll be the Trent Dilfer. Yeah, like a three three year. Cleveland Browns signed Blake Bortles on a oh five-year, like, 120 million contract after winning the Super Bowl. Like, it's like three, three year, 55 million with uh, 35 guaranteed or something. So essentially he gets the first two years guaranteed, averaging about 18, 19 million. Yeah. Like, uh-huh. something like that seems like the region I'd expect him. Like, if he if he if he's a serviceable quarterback and you're getting him for less than 20 million, and we just don't have enough tape now to know that yet, then that gives you a competitive advantage over every other team who is in that situation, basically, because the standard for like a franchise level quarterback is going to go through the roof this offseason mm, with Kirk yeah. Cousins like they get paid. So if they can get him for around twenty million, which yeah. I think they can probably get away with, because he'll be very appreciative of Minnesota for giving the chance to win a Super Bowl or be this competitive, that would be a competitive mm. advantage for Minnesota because he's shown he's good enough to get it done there and they'll want to get him locked down pre-Jimmy G's deal presumably because that's going to be what like yeah. 47 million a year <laughs> yeah Jimmy G money uh, there's going to be a lot of yeah the quarterback market's going to be interesting between Garoppolo and um, uh, Cousins and there'll be a few other people yeah there'll be a lot of ones floating around, so around. That, well we'll obviously we'll, we'll do a big big section on that going into the off season about like big moves and where, where the marks are we were discussing it the other night I think there's something like so there's at least eight teams are going to be swapping their starting quarterbacks and potentially more like there's a lot of flux going on so uh, we'll see but I would imagine the answer is probably a boatload a boatload of cash he will be earning a significantly more than is Fred Smoot on the boat uh, no good uh, <laughs> he'll be earning Sam Bradford money that's some pretty good money <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, no I'll say the Patriots are going to sign all three of Minnesota's quarterbacks oh wow that's what's going to happen that'll be interesting <laughs> yeah I was going to say trade Brady for all three but none of them are in contracts <laughs> yeah, no. fair enough uh, we'll, we'll, move, we'll move on and we'll have a look at the games that are coming up from this week okay so we're up to our championship games. Uh, we will start in the AFC. We will go Jacksonville at New England. I've gone for Jacksonville, and you guys have gone for New England. Uh, just, just casually gone for Jacksonville. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, all aboard the Bortles train. Uh, it's Bortles bus, Bortles man. Bus. Bortles bus. Jesus. No, no, it's a train now. Choo choo, Bortles bus. Tell <laughs> <laughs> <That's> It's. <laughs> Yeah. By the way, can, can one the of man you... was hypnotized by his own frozen breath can, on yeah. the weekend. Like, can, 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 one of, can one of you explain to me? I know it's not even this game, the Philadelphia thing. So I've been reading stories about how like all the shops have sold out of this dog mask. Oh, because uh, Lane <laughs> Johnson wore it. Yeah, uh, yeah. After the after the uh, final. So apparently, like they're expecting like 20-30,000 people in the stadium to be wearing these like laughing Alsatian masks during the game terrifying yeah I would be freaked the fuck out that would be like the fucking purge kind of shit going on there like <laughs> well, well it's Philly if, <laughs> if Minnesota do something like they did in the last game then there will be a purge yeah. <laughs> Philadelphia are now going to the Super Bowl because uh, there is no longer a Minnesota Vikings team <laughs> just a pile of D batteries yeah. twice the size of a man oh my but yeah so I've gone for Jacksonville you guys have gone for New England uh, this is going to be an interesting game obviously uh, New England have been looking to be informed but they 
haven't exactly been tested because they didn't play two weeks ago and then they played uh, the Titans last week, just gone. Uh, Jacksonville looking very strong last game and as we said, they took their eye off the ball and allowed the Steelers back into it and let's be honest, I think that the New England Patriots are a team who are not going to allow coaching errors to be the thing that are going to let it slip away from them. This is essentially a very strong defense taking on the the, the fantastic offense that is Tom Brady and co and then a Jacksonville offense that fuck knows what you're getting week to week because they can either be scoring 40 something points even though they've got bugger all passing yards or they can be putting up eight points in their defense holding people to nothing and they just somehow find ways to win games but they cannot be relied on this is a very, very interesting matchup. It's not exactly what I would have picked going into the year, let's say. But uh, but it is something that I'm now very intrigued to see. Like, Ari, I'll come to you first on this. Like, where do you think the key areas for this are going to fall? So this is, look, who is the quarterback who played the best against Jacksonville this year? Jimmy Garoppolo. And who taught Jimmy Garoppolo everything he knows? Tom Brady. Bill Belichick. Absolutely. Uh, both of them. Whatever. That Alex Guerrero Alex guy. Guerrero. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to bring out Alex Guerrero at quarterback. Nobody's going to fucking see it coming. Like, they'll be like, they're rubbing quinoa onto Malik Jackson's forehead and shit. They won't know what to make of it. No, seriously. Um, this is like, the Jags are just. Can the Jags win this game? Yeah, they can. Of course they can. But the, the, why would you pick them? I mean, I get why you would pick them, but like, it's so unlikely. There's like a, maybe in, if you play this game a hundred times, maybe five of those times Jacksonville are able to do what they need to win it. No, and, I think you're massively underestimating them. Okay, I, 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 I still think that New England favors, but I think they, I think they win maybe thirty percent of those games. Okay, I, 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 I don't agree. But like, look, so like, this is a team that has struggled to deal with. So let's take the San Francisco game. Uh, to deal with uh, play a-, a lot of play action being run there, uh, which New England are very good at. We now have Dion Lewis, who had another fantastic game, nearly 150 all-purpose yards. Um, this is what the weakness of that Jacksonville defense, because it's so aggressive and it's so uh, powerful that quite often it leaves space and then relies on the athleticism of linebackers to catch up. When you have guys like Dion Lewis, who you can engineer that, when you can engineer proper the threat of a play-action game, when you have guys like Danny Amendola, who had a great game against Tennessee, who are a bit shiftier and, and sort of the short area quickness rather than trying to outrun them, that's where Jacksonville have struggled a little bit this season. That's the kind of thing they struggled to deal with. I point to that Niners game because that's what it was for a lot of it. And that's where, when they were doing it, when they were trying to make up ground, they lost their discipline, they gave away penalties, and that's something else that Jacksonville have found themselves doing when they're um, struggling to... When they're not immediately clicking, an element of, of frustration kicks in there. And I think that when you look at the, the way New England play, these are things that are extremely difficult for Jacksonville. Do I expect Jacksonville's front seven to cause problems for New England? Absolutely, I do. Do I think the cor- their cornerbacks match up better than our wide receivers? Probably, yes. But New England are the kind of team that generate that. It's like, right, okay, you want to take away Brandon Cooks the whole game? Fine. You want to blanket him with Jalen Ramsey? Absolutely fine. We don't need to target Brandon Cooks to win the game. And that's the kind of thing that New England can do. I say, look at Lewis, look at White. They're going to be very, very heavily involved. New England are going to show them an awful lot of looks. They're going to do an awful lot of different things. They're going to exploit the space that comes when you deal with a defense that's very heavy in pursuit okay. and uses athleticism to catch up with the play. Uh, don't forget we have that Burkhead grit back. This yeah, and Burkhead's back as well, who's another fantastic pass-catching option who can do mm. different things out of the backfield. So I think but, this is where the problem... Brady is so good at finding those guys in space and engineering those guys into space. But, okay, so what, with that analysis, that means that they can never be beaten and they have been beaten. But what if I was to phrase this Jacksonville team as being as a more skilled version of the Miami Dolphins? Does that scare you? 
Well, are we, are we playing them? Are we playing? Are we playing them in Miami? Because that's the only time we that's lose true. to Miami. No, look, I'm not saying it's unbeatable. I'm just saying that when you look at that, that's why I think New England win this most of, like, an overall majority of the time. That doesn't mean it's a blowout. They can be close wins every time. But I think that matchup is very difficult for the way Jacksonville play. Like. I picked New England, but that's just because picking New England is just a good heuristic in life uh, if you're going to do picks. Uh, but, you know, Jacksonville do have Tom Coughlin, and <laughs> they do have a derpy quarterback, and they do have a great front seven. Those are known as the secret ingredients yep. to beat New England at the highest level of the NFL. No, it's not Super Bowl. It's not Super Bowl. <laughs> they've, got the, they've got the ability to bring pressure with four, which is what you need to be able to do so you can keep coverage in place. In that, like They've got the bits. It's just about execution. And I get that they're not the smartest team and in the Ravens world. The Ravens team best also kind of fit that template, except for Tom Coughlin. Derpy quarterback, good front seven, beat New England. Like Basically, in terms of the fit of... Uh, in terms of the fit of defense against New England this is probably the best you can have this is what we know can work against New England and really make that offense fall apart and we know that Tom Brady's been dealing with some health issues I think the big issue like the big question for me is if New England can do what other like basically what Buffalo did and what Pittsburgh failed to do which was to limit Blake Bortles to short plays Blake Bortles was so reliant on those screens on those bubble passes where he where misdirection is so important. But if the New England defense is smart to that, if they suss it out, if Matt Patricia like sticks to the bend, don't break, then I imagine that as long as they don't let Leonard Fournette go too crazy on them, that that will be the difference. That basically the Jacksonville offense won't be able to do stuff. Eventually, Blake Bortles will get frustrated and do really stupid things and throw a few picks, and then New England will use that to get scores on a short field. So for me, that's why I would be more personally in favour of New England. Is just I think if anyone is going to force Blake Bortles into the situations where he doesn't want to be making short passes, slowly grinding his way down the field. I think New England are the team who defensively are one of the best at doing that in the league and, and able to scheme around that. I just think Bill Belichick can outthink Blake Bortles. That's just not that controversial, right? Ooh, hot take! I also point out that, that Tom, Tom Brady is this season literally, literally the best QB in the league against pressure. Like, literally. When he's a pressured, he has the highest rating of any quarterback. Yeah, yeah, and pressure from Jimmy Garoppolo. He got rid of that pretty quickly. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> like, but I think, I, think, I, I think it's a difficult game. It's a very difficult game for Jacksonville. It is, but, but this is the thing. Like, this, this is an incredible Jacksonville defense. Like, whenever you're facing pressure, quite often teams' defenses are built on either having very upper-end pressure or having very upper-end secondary. This is a team that has both. Like, this is the thing of, like... If there is a defense who are going to have the the personnel and the type of scheme and build to do this, this is the team. Like I would be picking New England a hundred percent of the time if it was Pittsburgh that's going up there because I don't think they have the pieces on defense, even though they've been a good defense this year to do it. This is the Jacksonville team who I think if they just execute, and this is the thing: it's if they execute and if they can hold themselves together for the full sixty minutes, they have the personnel to do it. But I, like I said. I do think New England win most of the time. I don't think they win it 95% or 98% of the time. I think they win it closer to 70-75% of the time. But I just got this feeling this Jacksonville team are feeling good. And <laughs> let's see, what, what do we reckon? I'm going to go with a score of 31-28. to 28. I'm going to say 23-10 mm, New England. Okay. 17-6 New England. Okay, 
Uh, my one's a bit more high scoring. <laughs> more yeah, I, I don't points, think uh, New England are going to let this be a Pittsburgh type game. Mm. That, that's for Pittsburgh type team. Their match shut. Fair enough. Uh, we'll move on to the other game now. Uh, Minnesota taking on the Philadelphia Eagles dressed in their dog masks. I've gone for Philadelphia and so the two guys have gone for Minnesota. I was very tempted to take Minnesota in this but I said fuck it. That's I'm just going to stick with Philly. Why not? I'll be honest Connor. if the Philadelphia players come out with dog masks on then I will give them the favour in this. Uh, also, by the way, can you imagine how hard? Because like, there's no way if they've got like twenty five thousand fans, that they're not going to play. They're not going to not play. Who let the dogs out? Oh, in between God. things, like like that's going to happen, and that's going to be so distracting because that song is so irritating. <laughs> Michael Big Show. Yeah. No, no, oh no. Yeah. Oh shit, Jr. That's Michael Vick's music. Uh, <laughs> Oh, good God. For the blind people, I'm, I'm sure. <laughs> oh, my. Uh, this is going to be an issue. So, obviously, this, we're looking at a very strong defensive team in Minnesota. Philadelphia coming off a lackluster showing offensively in the last game, but a very strong showing on defense. This will be one for the purists in that it's going to be shitty weather. It's going to be loud. It's going to be hard-hitting. Uh, this... Feels like it might be kind of a game of attrition type thing. Minnesota looked good in sparks during the game last week, but their offense was never 100%. They looked good in the first half and fell apart in the second half. Philly looked opportunistic, but unable to complete drives. We're not sure fully where they are. And I don't know how their run game is going to play against this Minnesota team. So, like, where do you think fits, like, one or two of the main matchups here are going to be? Yeah, I think the big matchup, I think you mentioned it there, the run games for both teams is incredibly important. Minnesota all year have been surprisingly effective on the ground, despite losing Dalvin Cook early on the season. Latavius Murray and Jerick McKinnon, they're two backs who are complementary to each other, and they've found success throughout the season. Even though they've been shuffling the offensive line later on the season, they still managed to get uh, get some production there. And they're obviously willing to dedicate it. Mike Zimmer's that type of coach. And then, of course, as we saw in the review for the Atlanta game, like Philly were willing to give JJ the ball, even after an early mistake. They got the J train. They got to ride him. They got to keep playing him, no matter how well the uh, Minnesota defensive front is playing up to them. Because I think that is the only way you keep Nick Foles in the game. We saw first half in that in that Atlanta game. If Nick Foles is under pressure, if Nick Foles doesn't want to, doesn't know what he's doing, he ends up screwing the pooch. Basically, uh, no pun intended. This game, and I think that basically it was only when they got JGI going in those drives they had in the second half that Nick Foles looked comfortable looked like the Nick Foles who had so much success under Chip Kelly uh, those few years ago I think Nick Foles is a complimentary piece he's a trailer as they call him someone who can follow a team not carry them uh, and I think that's Ooh, someone's been listening me. to move the sticks yeah, yeah basically <laughs> this is why I don't listen to podcasts he, all of my takes he, are fresh if either team can establish the run I think that could be the massive difference on who could do because we know these two defenses are good uh, but I think both offenses require that element to have any success in this game against against such good defenses on both sides yeah like we've seen Philly the, 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 the change in their offense with the change of quarterback has been remarkable like not only have they had to change their game plan because they were very much a deep threat offense beforehand and that was what was freeing up the, the running game underneath when they do go deep threat they have a terrible 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 time of it as uh, Nick Foles is not the quarterback to throw deep outside passes uh, I don't know I think he bounced them off defender, defensive backs knees well, like, see, <laughs> see this is what I was going to say because I, I was about to talk about his short range accuracy to hit that knee with that level of precision but no it's um, like this is this is the thing we don't fully know 
what type of offense we're going to get coming out from this Philly thing outside of the fact that they're going to need to lean on the run because of the weather and their limitations because we don't know there's not there's not a season's worth of tape on them so it'll be interesting to see what they try and do here but this is a Minnesota defense that is skilled at every single level like if this is a if this is a quarterback that starts to struggle or isn't 100% ready for this game this is not the defense to be coming up against right no it's not and this is what I think the critical performance of, I think it's true of both teams to be honest with you like both these quarterbacks struggle under pressure yeah so how the O-lines hold up against what are two good front sevens is going to be critical for me uh, and why I'm edging towards Minnesota and I agree with you that this is a close game uh, and it should be a close game is that I think Minnesota's defense is just that bit better and that bit deeper right now um, in both the front seven and the backfield than um, than Philadelphia's is. But it's going to be huge. I agree with Ronan about establishing the run, but also not only do the O-line have to allow them to do that, but they have to keep those QBs clean. They have to give them time to throw. They have to give them pockets they can work in because otherwise they're going to struggle to move the ball if that's not happening, then it becomes easier to lock that, those running games down. Yeah, uh, yeah. And I know that's like fucking football 101, but that's really the case where you have two quarterbacks who can play well when they're put in the right spot. But These are both good, but not elite quarterbacks. Exactly. And, we, and don't, don't, don't forget right now, we don't know the status of Sandejo on that concussion yeah. protocol. That could be a massive difference. He, he was really good in that game against New Orleans, and it's no surprise that they had a little bit easier of a job once he went out. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that could be, you know, that's, that could be the kind of really small change between two teams who are match up very closely on each other that we could see here. So that's something to keep an eye out of before the game if you're if you're the kind of person who spends all time on Twitter. Yeah, uh, so, <laughs> looking for updates on the air. <laughs> so Fitz, what's your scoreline for this game? I'm gonna go thirteen seven. Minnesota. Wow, thirteen seven. Okay, Harry. Uh, we always, whenever we have these like games, it should be low scoring, and we pick them low scoring. It turns out not to be. So I'm going to go the opposite. I'm going to say Minnesota are going to win thirty to twenty seven, and I'm going to go Philadelphia winning uh, twenty three to twenty in a very tight one. So that should be good fun. Uh, obviously, we'll be watching all this on Sunday, and we'll be getting back to you guys then with our feedback and the start of our preview bits for the uh, Pro Bowl, the most important game of the year. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, Harry, you look so sad. Pro Bowl hype. We're uh, taking a week off, right? But uh, yeah, no, it should be should be good crack. Sony well, crack. We're, we're happy for you to take the Pro Bowl preview off if you want, Harry. Yeah, myself and Fitz will just record a four-hour thing and then send it to you for mm-hmm. editing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then you'll just put out like just us shouting Pro Bowl hype and just yeah, I'll remove the whole. Yeah, I'll remove the whole. Uh, uh, I'll actually replace the whole thing with a whoosh, the whoosh sound on yeah. like. Why not? Uh, so only any plans for the rest of the week, lads? Crack. Mostly football related, to be honest with you. Yes, busy in work again, so just going to try and survive until the weekend and see what uh, see what emerges. You're saying let's get some. Yeah, I think going to do some board games over in the house on Saturday. We've got a few new ones after Christmas and stuff we want to play. So uh, and then we've also got the uh, was given due to my uh, due to my. Uh, love of the TV show Deep Fried Masters uh, which is phenomenal if you haven't seen it check it out on Netflix there's I think six episodes in total uh, They, I now have a, a Deep Fat Fryer I've bought as a present so we're going to try frying up a load of random different shit and see what it tastes like you should like. get everyone to bring something different. yeah well I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to send it to everyone in the message say, like, just bring something we'll make up a load of batter and just fry random shit and see what it works uh, so that should be fun and mm. definitely healthy uh, in advance <laughs> of an entire night's drinking the following day oh, for the football <laughs> What about yourself? It's any crack down in Cork? Nah, it'd probably be pretty quiet. Maybe, maybe give 
give a prayer for Marcus Williams that he survives the off season uh, in New Orleans. Uh, <laughs> actually, he had a very—I um, don't know if you saw the video from when they landed back into New Orleans. There were actually a lot of people out with signs yeah. in support of him, which I thought was really yeah. nice. Yeah. Uh, people are some exactly. dicks on the Fair internet, but. He also had to shut down all the social media accounts, of course, because of all the death oh, threats. But, yeah. you know, mm. football, it's a gay things happen. Also, yeah. apparently, it, it isn't happening at the same scale as, as the uh, uh, the Andy Dalton charity thing, but apparently Cincinnati fans have started donating uh, money to Blake Bortles' charity of choice because they knocked the Steelers out of the playoffs. Oh, very and nice. They, you know the circle of, of, of charitable arbitrary charitable yeah. giving Char- charitable <laughs> saltiness um, Morstead <laughs> as well has been getting a load of stuff from Vikings fans because uh, he stayed out on the pitch for the whole of the end of the uh, the Saints punter um, um, stayed out on the pitch for the whole of the end sequence he was having a heart attack I believe at the time <laughs> no, he wasn't having a heart attack he just had no ribs left <laughs> quote from him was like it doesn't hurt unless I'm punting. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's unfortunate. You have one job. Uh, oh, my. I'm really... I'm fine to play football. It only hurts when I football. Like, uh, <laughs> But, yeah, no, I'd say that nothing that's too wild to change. Got finished up in the, the assignment stuff for the course. I've now got five days off and then I'm on to the next course and they delivered all of the reading to me yesterday in the office and I swear to Christ I thought they sent me the reading for the next three for the next three courses it's just so much shit Jesus. Uh, fun times so I'll be uh, cracking into that next week which will be excellent of course but no I'd say that nothing else too wild or crazy uh, so obviously we'll be back with coverage of the championship games and our previews of the Super Bowl and the Pro Bowl uh, fire us on your questions on Facebook Etsy Pornhub all the all of the internets we're all over there, all up in that that cloud tubes. Are, are you doing dry January, Connor? No. The the investors need to know. <laughs> yes, yes, the investors need to know. Um, no, no, we're not doing dry January. Uh, what we're trying to do at the moment is we're going to try and cause a bit of inflation, hence the purchasing of a deep fat fryer, uh, so then there can be a little bit more of me to go around, a bit of quantitative easing. So that should be that should be good. <laughs> <laughs> it's not about the quality of the liver it's about the size of the liver <laughs> that's it uh, I'm also I'm uh, I'm renting a car uh, next weekend so uh, you know who knows if we get lucky I could become a fiat currency Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> I can't even cut your mic you're here <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah no, it should be good fun yeah hit us up we will catch you up uh, later on next week so, so it's bye from myself bye from Harry bye bye from Ronan Bye. This has been all four quarters. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you next time.